we're looking at a biblical view of money, and we're laying it as a foundation over these last few weeks for chapters 8 and 9 of Second Corinthians. Um, I have shared with you multiple messages on this subject, uh, explaining to you that the world in which you live on is the one has skewed your view of your money. We have an industry that has only been around for a hundred years, a little over a hundred years, that uh, its only purpose in existence is to part you from your money. And that's what they make money on, is making sure you get rid of yours. It's an interesting concept. The only problem I have with that whole concept is I didn't think of it. But that's what happens. I have shown with you biblically that all wealth comes from God and that we are stewards of that wealth and the ability to gain wealth and to make wealth is also from God. Therefore, how much of it is his? Pretty much. Kind of shoots a hole in the tithe theory, doesn't it? But anyway, um, I last week was sharing with you, what did Jesus say about money? Jesus taught more on money than any person in the Bible, and it was his favorite topic. And the reason is, is that if you go back to the parable of the rich young ruler and the story of Zacchaeus, you see why. What you do with money is a direct reflection of your spiritual condition. If you don't like it, just mark that part out of your Bible. But he told Zacchaeus, when Zacchaeus came to faith, he says, I will give half of everything I own to the poor. And Jesus says, today, you're a really good man for doing that. That's not what he said. He says, salvation has entered this home. How we handle our money shows it. And in my outline here, I've been looking at the morality of money and the love of money. But I want to read a verse and then we'll pray. Several verses, sorry. 2 Corinthians 8, beginning verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God that has been given to the churches of Macedonia, and that the great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Let's pray. Father, help us to be as the Macedonians. Help us to understand that we are but stewards of what you have given us for just this time. It is not ours to hold on to. It is not ours to hoard. It is yours. And Father, may we be extraordinarily overwhelmed by the sense of what you would have us do with our money. Father, I understand that some of us have gotten ourselves into places that um, we can't do much. Father, let us be faithful to get us from that place and not enter it again. Help us to hear your words this day, Lord. May your spirit in the hearts of your people pierce those who need to be pierced. Father, comfort those who are in need of comfort and counsel all to your glory and praise. 
Amen. Henry Ford. Everybody know Henry Ford? I'm a Dodge man, but we'll go with it. Henry Ford, after he got the assembly line perfected, made this quote. I was happier when I was a mechanic. Pretty impressive. Carnegie of Carnegie Hall made this statement. Millionaires never smile. And I believe that in both cases, the reason is we take too much money and waste it on earth. We take too much money and waste it on life instead of investing money in the eternals. When you invest in the eternals, then you have real joy. Now, listen, I'm not talking about like the Pharisees who trumpets. I'm getting ready to give a big offering, blow the horn, watch this. I'm talking about the widow who had two half cent mites. And dropped it in in Jesus' words as he was watching the people give. She gave more than all the rest. And I shared with you to close last week's message. He still watches. He still watches. James tells us that life is but a vapor and eternity is forever. Am I investing in eternity or am I investing in a vapor. God has given to us richly. And in this country, mind-boggling richly. And He wants us to enjoy. But that's what our problem begins. If you would, go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We've been looking at this on and off. But I want to remind you of this. Because we've been looking at the morality of money. Because money in and of itself has no morals. But money shows your character and my character. How I spend money is directly related to my moral standard. I've told people this, that when you are having marital struggles, it's really easy in light of Christ because all you have to do is go look at your checkbook and you'll see what your priorities were. And once you look at that, you can say, oh, oh. First Timothy chapter six, verse 10 says, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Okay, did you know that too many people want to translate that for money is the root of all sorts of evil. God made money. It says the love of money. Is the root of all sorts of evil. There is nothing wrong with wealth. Job. Was an extraordinarily wealthy man. And God himself said he was the most righteous man in the east. King David. Went from a shepherd boy. To king of Israel. He was wealthy. Matthew, who wrote the gospel of Matthew, was a tax collector. That was the most coveted job you could get. Because it paid well. It paid well. Verse 9 of that text. Those who want to get rich fall into temptations and a snare. And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. 
That's scary stuff right there, people. Why? It's tempting. I fall into it. I want to be wealthy. If I'm wealthy, you know how much more I can do for Jesus? Well, if you ain't doing it now, you won't do it if you're wealthy. He says there at the end of verse 10, love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. And look what he says. Pierced themselves with many griefs. Two weeks ago, I showed you Proverbs 30, where the assistant to Solomon watched Solomon marry 900 women for wealth so that he could have their treasuries. Treasuries would come in and be part of what Israel owned. But in doing so, they brought in false gods. And by Solomon opening that door, turned the nation of Israel, God's covenant people, into idolatry. And right after his death, the kingdom was divided. When you have money, the writer of that proverb says, you are in danger of turning your back on God. Where do you put your faith? Where, let me ask you a question. What is your dependency on? Is it on God? Or money? Anyone say, well, be real, dude. I mean, you've got to have money, gasoline, insurance, lights, camera, action. I'll ask ask you one simple question. Show me your checkbook register. I'll tell you what your priority is. It's that simple. It's that simple. When you love money, you will trust your money and not God. You begin to trust in it. You begin to depend on it. You will turn your affections... You will turn them aside from God and you will sit on it and say, I can now care for myself. How many families have blown up over inheritance? And you know what's bizarre about that? Them people are related. And yet they fight over it. I know 10 families right now who are in trials and travails because of the death in the family and who's going to get what. And, and you sit there and you go, that's insane. You guys all grew up together. You were kids together. But let me show you something. The book of Job. If you ever read the book of Job, you'll note that... The, First two chap- three chapters are good, and the last three chapters are good, and the rest of it is verbiage. <laughs> um, Job's buddies, who are really concerned about Job and all that's going on bad, are convinced that Job is doing something, and God is getting even with him. And whatever that secret sin is, Job, stop it! I mean, they've killed your kids, your crops are gone, your livestock is gone, your houses are blown over, and you've got a nagging woman for a wife. Okay, 
So it must have been awful that you did. Here's what Job says. If I have put my confidence, Job 31, verse 24 and 25, if I have put my confidence in gold and called fine gold my trust, if I have gloated because of my wealth was great and because my hand had secured so much. See, he was doing a self-evaluation of his own integrity. And he says, I never did those things. And yet he was extremely wealthy. Proverbs 11, verse 28. You may want to heed this. He who trusts in his riches will fall. But the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So you know what the implication there is, right? He who's putting his trust in his riches is unrighteous. Is unrighteous. The text that we looked at beginning with in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you go back there, we're going to do a bunch of bouncing around today. Verses 17 and 18. Instruct those who are rich In this present world, that's an interesting phrase. Interesting phrase. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Those who are rich right now, instruct them. Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Let's be realistic about it. We, every one of you in this room, has been richly blessed and supplied by God with some amazing things to enjoy. Now, you may not enjoy them. You may not be thankful for them. But it still don't mean it ain't right. He has blessed us. In amazing ways. This morning, I was, I, I got, I get up real early for some silly reason. But anyway, I get up real early and the sun wasn't quite up. It was still sort of gray outside. And my dog had gone outside and usually I let him out and he goes, does his business. And he comes back and he's sitting there and he's not sitting there. And I'm like, well, I wonder where Doofy is. And, um, uh, all of a sudden, just between the two trailers that I have, I see this fox. Go running by. And he's just doing a little lope. Ding, 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 ding. He's not running in a panic. He's just ding, ding, ding. And I was like, I haven't seen a fox around the house in years. That's kind of cool. A little silver and red. You know, it's cute little bugger. He's just running around the corner. And just Next thing I see, here comes Marmaduke. Hair's all stood up, tail's going, and he's, oh my God! And he's running around trying to, and I was in there going, the fox and the hound, really. <laughs> but it was so cute to watch because he had such confusion. He was under the bush. Is it under the deck? Where did it go? And he's sniffing and he's looking and he's trying not to bark and he's and all this. And I thought, now that there's something to enjoy. My big buffoon dog <laughs> trying to catch a fox. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> you couldn't catch the fox if it was sitting behind you. <laughs> 
He has given us much. Then to the rich, he says, instruct them to do good and to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. It seems in my life, the more people have, the less willing they are to part with it. And it's more traumatic if they have to part with it. And what I believe happens is that money clouds their view of reality and they become isolated. Quote unquote, gated communities. Okay. And they don't really see what's going on. They don't see what's going on. Let me go back to love and try to give you an idea about it. Because it is a lot worse than what you think. In uh, Mark and Matthew's Gospels. Be Matthew thirteen twenty two and Mark is chapter four verse nine. You will find that wealth will deceive you. If you have a love for wealth, the things of this world, for money, it will deceive you. Okay. Thirteen twenty two. Or wait, no, fourteen four nineteen. Sorry. Or, Mark 4.19, 13.22 is Matthew. Either one of them will get you. Go to the M books. No. Mark 4.19, Matthew 13.22. I'm going to go to Mark 4.19. This is the parable of the seeds that were sown. And Jesus explains the parable. Those that were sown among the thorns. They have heard the word of God, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Okay. The riches has a deceitfulness to it that chokes out the word of God. Deception. When you have money, you think you have everything. You're no different than the Sadducees. If God likes you, you will have a lot. Riches. God likes you. And you will also tell yourself, all is well. Jesus told the story of the farmer who had the barns and he had a great harvest and I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and then I can eat, drink and be merry. And God says, you fool, your soul is expected of you tonight. Riches sometimes make us think that we are in God's favor. How could it be false to be wealthy? I mean, God's got to be blessing me. God is pleased. Really? God wants you working overtime. I remember when I first moved to Colorado, I was going to buy a house. So I took a job working for Emory Air Freight, unloading trucks and loading airplanes. And then I worked for International Shipping Company out of Inverness. And I took all the money from my Emory job. And that was going to be my down payment for a house. Now, listen, is there anything wrong with that? Okay. Now, I was working a lot. I mean, I was working a lot. 
Okay, uh, my flex job worked at, uh, uh, at Inverness. I could go any time between 6 and 9, okay, and you got off on the other end of it. So I'd always go in at 6 o'clock in the morning. I had to be up at the airport, up at, this is Stapleton. I had to be up at Stapleton um, usually by 4 o'clock, depending on, there were two shifts there, and I'd work those two shifts if I could get them. Uh, and so, and then I put all that money away, all right? There's nothing wrong with that plan, now is there? This kid wants to buy a house. He wants to have a down payment for the house. He works these two jobs so he can get this house, okay? Works good. I ended up with almost $11,000 in savings. It's not bad. It's not bad. But I was a single male living in an apartment. My tax bill came due. 10 2 what I owed in taxes. So a year working two full-time jobs, I had $800 in savings. Yeah. What a motivator. Put your stock in your wealth. See what happens. You think you've got it made. Wealth can deceive you about your true spiritual reality. It will deceive you about what is important in this life. Okay, so it'll deceive you. The love of money will also cause you to compromise your convictions. It will compromise the Bible. Have you ever heard this statement? Every man has a price. I was reading, I won't mention the guy's name, but he's a well-known writer and editorialist. And he was at a big, fancy, fancy New York dinner party. And there was a lady that was there and very attractive. And he just kept looking at her and he says, man, what a beautiful woman. So he finally gets up the nerves and he walks over to her and he says, would you spend the night with me for a hundred thousand dollars? And the lady got red and embarrassed. She says, really? And she says, really? And she knew who he was. He said, I'll give you $100,000. And she bowed her head a little bit. She looked up at him and says, yes, sir, I would. So he went away for a minute. He came back. He says, will you spend the night with me for 10 bucks?" And the lady looked at him and says, what do you think I am? And he says, that's already been established. We're negotiating a price. (laughs) Okay. Everybody has a price. That's what they say. What is the price that you compromise your convictions? Now, that's an exaggeration that I gave you. But let me ask you about this. Have you ever lied to get a job? Or perhaps, being that lying is such a horrible term, perhaps it was just hyperbole. Exaggeration for the sake of emphasis. Have you ever had hyperbole over a promotion? Have you ever been quiet about Jesus to be popular? 
Have you ever sold out your speaking for the king so you could appear intellectual? There are people who think I'm the biggest pile of dope that ever walked because I believe that the earth is 6,000 years old. And I can prove mine. They can't prove theirs. And I'm the dope. Have you ever compromised your convictions to gain possessions? How about to be accepted? I've had people have money available to me if I would, here's the cute term, tone it down. You get tested to see what your price is. And you know what, brothers and sisters, as Christians, you shouldn't have a price on truth. Compromising your convictions that you know what is written. The simplicity of it is comes out of Matthew's gospel, chapter six. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. And what happens? All things will be added unto you. When you love money, you will sell that out all the time. I have seen ministries, you have seen ministries who have done this over and over. You have seen large ministries that completely collapsed because they compromised. They had, quote unquote, large donors. And the large donors didn't want to be offensive. A a football player that everybody seems to think is just borderline messianic was asked to speak at First Baptist of Dallas on Easter. First Baptist of Dallas takes a stance against homosexual marriage and it came out to this great known football player. And he says, well, I can't come down there because you guys are divisive. And I can't be a part of a church that would take that stand on homosexuality. That great known football player right now is unemployed. Don't compromise, people. Don't compromise. Another thing about love of money. It is an unstable foundation. Proverbs 23. Verses 4 and 5. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your considerations of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle and flies towards the heavens. When you set yourself on it, you work two full-time jobs so you can pay more taxes. It will fly to the heavens. It will flutter away. Hold on to an eagle. How long? One, there is one foundation that is true. Love God, glorify Him, even with your wealth. Another thing is, love of money will make you proud. Will make you proud. This goes back a few years ago. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 and following 
Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances, his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Sounds right. Stand on truth is what he's saying. All right. Otherwise. Okay. If you don't. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and you lived in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt and the house of slavery. Ain't that what we do? When we get comfortable, I've got everything I need. Two and a half car garage. Carpet where I want carpet, tile where I want tile. Bills are paid, little socked away. How easy is it to turn your back on God? Give us this day our daily bread. We go into the Safeway and say, hey, Lord, I'm buying. What do you want? Why? You think it's you who did this. That's what Moses is saying here. You think you acquired all of this? No, I blessed you. And in my blessings, you have turned your back on me. It will make you proud. Listen, I want you to be very aware. I'm not saying, nor is the Bible saying, there's anything wrong to expand and multiply. That is not what it's saying. But if you put your confidence and your pride in the fact that you expanded and you multiplied, you are in trouble. When it happens, we forget God. Our heart will become proud. When you see wealth as a gracious gift from God to be used for his glory and advancing his kingdom, then you have the right perspective even if you have a widow's might or million dollars you'll have the right perspective proverbs 28 verse 11 28 11 it's it's one of my favorite texts i save it for special times a rich man is wise in his own eyes I like that one. Rich man is wise in his own. The little Hebrew on it is the wealthy man is wise in his own conceit. Jeremiah, speaking of the rich, says God is near their lips, but far from their hearts. Worship with the mouth, but there's no room in the mind. Okay. One other thing about the love of money. Interesting uh, text from the Italian prophet. (laughs) Malachi (laughs) or Malachi. (laughs) Malachi was the last prophet. After God used Malachi to prophesy to Israel, God didn't speak another word to him for 400 years. Okay. That's kind of tough. But if you read Malachi, you can see why God just went, enough of this. Okay? 
And it comes out of chapter 3 of Malachi, beginning of verse 8. Here's a question from the prophet Malachi speaking to the nation of Israel. Will a man rob God? That's kind of a silly question, don't you think? You really going to get away with that? I mean, what's his surveillance cameras look like? I mean, he knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He knows you're robbing him before you rob him. Okay? Well, what do you mean rob from God? Yeah, you are robbing me, God says. But you say, how have we robbed you? How have we robbed you, God? In tithes and offerings. Hmm. And you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. You know what? 400 years, he didn't talk to him. He cursed him. You're on your own. You got it all figured out. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the window of heaven and pour out for you blessing until it overflows. You know what Israel did? They didn't test God. Now I'll hold on to what I got. Would a man rob from God? Listen, Jesus is watching. Think about it. If Jesus walked in here right now, had a big old bag of gold coins, and he set it down on the chair, and he went over and started talking to somebody, would anybody open that bag up and steal his coins? Who would rob him? Seems stupid. But yet he says, have you robbed me with the tithes and offerings? Have you given to what is his? Bring it and I will pour out blessings. Okay, then the last thing on love that I will deal with this morning. Robbing of others. First John chapter 3, verse 17. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need... And closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? You a Christian? If you see a brother in need. Romans 5 tells me the love of God has been poured into the hearts of every believer. God's love. I see a need and you don't meet it. You don't meet that need. How do you say that you are a Christian? You're robbing your brother. Verse 14 of that text. We know we have passed from death into light because we love the brethren. If we say we love the brethren, we see them in a need, we meet the need. Love of money will cause a Christian to behave as a non-believer. Okay, so I have the morality of money, I have the love of money. Now I want to deal with part one of acquiring money. I want to deal, how do we earn our money? How do we get our money? What does the Bible say about getting my money? And today I will just wrap this up with the negative side. Okay, how not to gather money. Okay. First and foremost, 
and we're all aware of this, we do not steal it. Rocket science there now. All right. Proverbs 37, 21 says it's an act of wickedness. All right. Amos 8, 5 says it. Hosea 12, 7 says it. And you don't deal with dishonest business. You don't overcharge and you don't cheat. Well, I don't do that. Really? Your employer hires you to work eight hours a day. Do you? Do you give them eight? Or do they get four? And the rest of them is preparing for work. It's cheating. It's cheating your employer. Well, you don't understand my employer. I understand God gave you that job. Okay, and if you don't like that job and you think your employer is a crook, get another job. How about income tax deductions? You ever notice that? We always round up. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? I'm rounding up. How about expense accounts? How about credit card purchases? Credit card ain't stealing. If you are charging beyond your need or your capabilities, what would you call it? You're stealing. If you are getting money that you don't have and you can't pay, what is that? See, there's a lot of ways to steal and there's none of us is part of the Christian life. Okay. Another way of not getting money is charging interest. Okay. I think it's King James, I'm not sure, calls it usury. When you charge a high interest on uh, someone who was in need, but they were in need and you happen to have the cash, but I will charge you this interest rate. But you're in a desperate place, so whatever I want to charge you for the interest rate, you have to deal with. Okay, When I grew up, they called that extortion. Okay, the Bible calls it usury. (laughs) Okay, it preys on those who have no choice. Okay, if you want to borrow money, show your ability. Can you pay the money? Then pay it in the future. Okay, but understand now that person is in control. It's been good. You know, it's good to have good credit. Usury is used when people don't have good credit. It's like these uh, payroll cash places. You know, they're popping up everywhere. Why? They make a killing. They make a killing. They charge people who are limited in their credit ability and they're in a desperate position. 
They have nowhere to turn, and they are taken advantage of. They can't qualify for, say, a signature loan. They can, maybe cannot qualify for a credit card. They have to have that pay-first credit card or whatever. Um, and some have no choice, and people take advantage of them. You don't need to lead in someone into that. Listen, if you see, it's like I said in First John. If you see a need, meet the need. Okay, if I got to lend a, a Christian money, I lend the Christian money. How much? I don't know. Whatever they need. Here. Well, how's the interest rate? None. Pay it back when you can. If I've got it, sure, do it. All right. Now, you got to understand, as a pastor, I've taken a vow of poverty. But anyway, <laughs> you can ask, but it ain't going to do you a bit of good. <laughs> All right. Now, I don't remember taking that vow, but evidently I did. <laughs> The next way not to make money is defrauding people. Defrauding. Holding back what belongs to them. Okay? Um, I see this way more than I want to think about. Out of the fifth chapter of James... Uh, James is dealing with the misuse of riches here in the fifth chapter. But he says, come, you rich, weep, howl for your miseries, uh, which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments have become moth eaten. Your gold and silver has rusted and their rust will be the witness to you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is the last days that you have stored up for your treasure. Behold, pay of the laborers who mowed your field and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. An outcry of who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. People were working and not getting paid. Pay the laborers. Some were withholding this. They work for you and you don't pay them. That cry from that individual goes to the Lord's ears. And let me tell you something. That's serious. They work for you. You pay what is owed and you pay what is promised. If you withhold, know that that cry goes to the Lord. I was reading about Andrew Jackson. He died in Tennessee. You should read some of the stuff about his last days. Serious pain, agonizing pain, debilitating pain. And before he died, he called his daughter to him and all of his slaves. Oh, yeah, slaves. He says, do not cry for me. The pain that I have this time cannot compare to the cross, to the tree which Jesus hung on. He looked at his daughter and he says, I know that I'm leaving, but my God will take care of you. He looked at his Negro slaves and says, and my God has saved some of you and I shall be in heaven. And I look forward to seeing both white and black in the presence of God. Slave owner. Slave owner. Very wealthy slave owner. Ex-president. 
But he was more concerned about, hey, we're all going to heaven. All going to heaven. And his last statement was to those that were standing there who do not know my Lord, I pray that my suffering brings glory to him and your salvation. He took care of his people, his employees. We should all do that. Last but not least, the one that is our favorite topic in all of the world on how not to make money. Glad you're all sitting down because you're all going to be thrilled to death with this one. Gambling. That would include bingo. It is not an option for a Christian. If God wants you to have the winning lotto ticket, he will blow it in your window. If it does not blow in your window, don't waste your money. Gambling is appealing to the most silly thing that I've ever seen of in my entire life. Most of you guys know that I come from a checkered past. I never, ever, in all of the insaneness of my life, gambled. Okay, now listen, some of you know some of the things I've done. And you never gambled? No. Why? I don't trust chance. Okay? And when you gamble, you are appealing to chance. Chance is not a power. That's what, what I hear, you know, people try to explain evolution. It's by chance. Chance isn't a power. It's not a power. It's just what it is. Chance. That's all it is. You know what? And the odds are against gambling. The odds of winning that last lotto, you had greater odds of being hit by lightning four times in one day than hitting that ticket. And people were lining up. I'm going to give me a ticket. Well, won't you go stand with a steel pool out in a lightning storm and see if that works better? It is also against the sovereignty of God. It is a way to waste the resources that God has given you. You might as well take, I don't know what a lotto ticket costs anymore, but you might as well drive down and just pitch it out the window. It will have the same effect. The other thing that I've seen about lotteries and lottos and all the rest of it, I believe in all of my heart that it is immoral because it exploits the poor. Because if you go look at the people who are buying these things, they are the ones least able to actually afford to, uh, whatever, $10, $5, I don't know what you, you get. It draws money out of those who have the littlest to start with. And supposedly it's helping. I, I don't know what. Well, the government will take the money and we'll have national parks. We already do. Okay. And let me ask you a question. I'm just going to be very blunt about this. How efficient is the government? So if you give them $2 to 
to help national parks, how much is that going to help our parks? We'll run a debt on it. It doesn't fit God's sovereignty and it exploits God's provisions. Okay? Don't get money false ways. All right? Don't steal. Don't take from the needy. Don't defraud nor gamble. Okay? Now then, next week, how do we get money? How do we get it? How do we use it? How do we misuse it? All right? We are rich, brothers and sisters. You have no idea. I have traveled internationally, and I have seen poverty in ways that I did not think happened in this era. Let us take our riches, every single one of us, and let us show our love for God with our riches, and let us use God's money and the ways that will bring him the greatest honor. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you will seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for, for wealth. Each of us in this room is wealthy beyond our dreams, and yet we still always seem to never have enough. Yet, Father, let us be thankful with what you have given us. Father, let each and every one of these people, I don't care about their age, their, whether they're working or whether they're unemployed, whether they're retired or whatever it is, Father, let each and every one of us be grateful with what you have given us and be masterful stewards of the amazing resources that God has laid upon us all. Father, help us. I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of this amazing calling. Father, with grateful hearts at the riches bestowed. Thank you, Lord, to your glory and praise. Amen.